Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. This is your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host. Uh, let's see. First of all, thanks for interacting with the product. Like, comment, subscribe, share, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. That's kind of it. You've either got friends, enemies, or strangers out there in the world, so... Uh, I suppose acquaintances. Sure, tell an acquaintance. In fact, how about that? Not your friends, not your enemies, just someone you've, you're a passing acquaintance with. Tell them about the show. See how, I'm just curious how many... What that might do. It's a little bit easier of a sell, maybe. Uh, anyway, tonight we are reviewing UFC on ESPN Plus 43, previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 44, and it's been really light on the news front, so that's kind of it. Uh, unless something happens between now and the end of recording, that's going to be just the show for this evening, so hopefully a fairly quick one. Not, eh. But we'll find out. I might wind up waxing uh, very loquacious. It's been known to happen on occasion. Alright, uh, yeah, let's jump right in. No further ado, no gilding of the lily. UFC on ESPN plus 43. Uh, your main event. <sighs> Derek Lewis defeats Curtis Blades via knockout, punch, uh, beautiful uppercut, 126 of the second round. Blades kinda had his way with the first round. Uh, got clipped, I think he got clipped once or twice, but, you know, pretty much... Landed the better shots, controlled distance, had some good leg kicks. Then second round, starts out a little bit more of the same, but he uh, Blades kind of tries a double leg at one point, tries to get close, and Lewis is able to escape very quickly. Leads to a bad shot from Blades, and ducks right into the uppercut from hell from Derek Lewis. He was Blades was out as he hit the gr- before he hit the ground. He was out. Uh, not the worst knockout of last night that actually came from a boxing bout between... Uh, it was Valdez and Burschelt. Uh, Oscar Valdez sent Burschelt to... Jeez, uh, just the the lowest level of hell. <laughs> I mean, brutal knockout. But this was a, this was a gnarly one. Uh, really sucks for Blades, man. He was a win here, and he might not have been able to leapfrog John Jones if Jones is in fact, you know, going to get a shot after at the winner of Stipe and Ganu too. But if he wanted to wait, wanted, I mean, that's a little bit of a roll of the dice. But he would have been in a great position, uh, you know, to make a case for the fighting, you know, the winner of John and the champion. Uh, now, yeah, sucks, really sucks. Uh, Derek Lewis now won three in a row, I think. Four. This was four in a row. I mean, I don't really count that Blagoy Ivanov fight as a win. I thought he lost. I also thought he lost the Latifi fight. Jeez. No, wait. I thought he won the Ivanov fight. It was the Latifi fight I really kind of thought he lost. Uh, either way. So, officially three in a row. Uh, four in a row. God. Officially four in a row. He's not really likely to be in the title picture. Um... Again, you've got John kind of parachuting in. You've got the fact that his fight with Francis Ngannou, while it was a win back in 2018, was just one of the worst fights you'll ever see. Uh, he would be a fresh matchup for Stipe, but again, that assumes Stipe beat... If Stipe beats Francis Ngannou and then John Jones... Uh, if it takes that much time, Lewis might have to fight again. But he's certainly a... Uh, 
someone you could plug in there. You know, somebody mentioned this on Twitter, and I, I went back through it because I think there's some truth to this fact, or to this you know, sentiment, not fact. Facts are true by definition. Uh, you know, Curtis Blades was getting the better of the striking. I mean, it's you know, striking with Derek Lewis is certainly dangerous, but he was winning that uh, fairly non-controversially, you know? Then he tries to wrestle and suddenly gets knocked out. And, and kind of the tweet was, you know, Derek Lewis struggles with people who actually will strike with him. It's, wrestle, it's you know, most wrestlers that he just devours. So I kind of, I looked back at his UFC resume, which is overall quite impressive, all things considered. He debuted back in 2014 and has a you know, very positive win-to-loss record. But if you look at his losses, they are as follows. Matt Mitrione knocked him out in 41 seconds. That was mostly on the feet. Sean Jordan, 2015, knocked him out on the feet with a kind of a hook kick and then follow-up punches. Goes on a long winning streak. Mark Hunt TKOs him in the fourth round of their t- of their main event in 2017. That fight took place, again, almost entirely on the feet and in the clinch. Wins a few. Uh, almost, he gets abused by Alexander Volkov for, you know, 24 minutes. 24 minutes and 30 seconds of a 25-minute fight. And then Hail Mary win. Then fights Daniel Cormier. Cormier is the only person, I think, to have successfully wrestled Lewis to a victory. Then he fought Junior Dos Santos after that. JDS TKO'd him, again, mostly on the feet. And then he's gone on his four-fight winning streak since then. I do... I might have to... I don't know that I want to rewatch enough Derek Lewis fights to kind of confirm this. <laughs> uh, but I do think there's some merit to the idea that what makes Lewis so dangerous... Is, I mean, first of all, the man definitely has power. Uh I don't mean I'm not at all trying to talk down about that. If he hits you clean, he can finish pretty much anybody. But I do think that there's truth to the idea that the majority of what makes him really good, what has made what has made him so successful, if nothing else, uh, it's come from his opponents approaching him from a grappling first perspective, as opposed to a striking first perspective. The people who have even in some of his wins. You know, the Ivanov fight, or... Uh, okay, the Latifi fight was mostly clinch work. But, uh... I'm to look back to some of his other wins. Okay, the Roy Nelson fight. I thought he lost. Uh, but Nelson struck with him on occasion. Uh, Travis Brown had... Brown had a fair bit of success against him before he got stopped. Uh, yeah, he, he mostly succeeds when people try really, really hard to wrestle him. And it's some combination of his own freakish strength, his ability to manage his energy levels appropriately, and uh, yeah, just he has really dialed in his striking offense around you kind of either gassing yourself out, grappling with him, or uh, just trying to enter, trying to close distance in that respect. He's pretty good about catching people in those positions. The people who have actually just struck with him and like and kind of gone, okay, let's just strike. You know, Volkov beat the crap out of him. That fight could have been stopped on a couple of occasions, and I don't think too many people would have complained about it. I mean, Lewis would have, and there's a segment of the MMA fan base that refuses to acknowledge uh, 
any kind of stoppage being legitimate if the opponent doesn't either give up verbally or physically or is rendered completely unconscious. Uh, these people are... Eh, I don't have a lot of time for that particular sentiment. Point being, there were a few different points when Volkov had Lewis hurt really badly and they, the ref could have intervened. Uh, so... I don't know that, again, I don't know that that's the only way to beat him, but it, I mean, even the fight he won, you know, the Nganu fight, Francis never shot on that guy. They just, again, they stared at each other a lot. They didn't do anything, but, you know, did he, he looked bad. I mean, they both did. I'm, I'm, that fight is awful, okay? It was one of the worst fights of that year. I think the only fight I had listed worse than that was CM Punk and Mike Jackson, because the less said about that monstrosity, the better. But uh, it, it's just kind of a thought, I th something to ponder. You know, if you have to, if you're the next guy that has to fight Derek Lewis, maybe if you're, especially if you're a competent striker, might be worth your while just to kind of keep it in that area. Because while there is danger there, there seems to be a lot more demonstrated danger in trying to wrestle this guy when you're not, you know, a top tier wrestler. I mean, sure, Daniel Cormier could out-wrestle anybody on the UFC roster, pretty much. Uh, I mean, if we're talking pure wrestling, then I would stand by that statement. If we're talking wrestling for MMA, yeah, he out-wrestled Stipe. Uh, I think in all three of their... The third one I'd have to rewatch, But certainly in the first two, he out-wrestled Stipe. Even when he... You know, even in the uh, though he lost the second one. Uh, John out-wrestled him. In their first fight, that was kind of the beauty of that performance, was John out-wrestling out DC in the clinch, basically. But, you know, okay, so you're not John Jones. <laughs> but anyone else, Cormier can out-wrestle them. If you're not kind of on that level, uh, it's a, you might have a better, you might legitimately have a better shot at beating him if you just strike with him than if you take a bad shot. I also have a... I, I'm always, I've tried really, really hard to dial back some of my uh, talk about weaknesses or uh, in fighters here, because especially at the top level of fighting, you've got habits, right? More so than weaknesses, or you, you're just not good at something. You might not be at good at something as someone else, but it's rare that somebody gets to the UFC and they're certainly succeeds over a period of time in the UFC and has, you know, a glaring deficiency. I mean, was Khabib the you know, Khabib as a as one of the modern day specialists? You know, was he a world class striker? No, not really. Was he a competent striker? Yes, very much so. So, not a weakness. Just you know, was he as good at it? If you put him and Conor McGregor in a kickboxing match, is he as good at kickboxing as Conor is? Probably not. But is he better at kickboxing than, you know, you, me? Uh, a lot of the UFC, I mean, a surprisingly high amount of the UFC roster. I mean, people forget he outstruck Ally Aquinta for giant portions of their fight. Uh, you know, the man could strike. He was just much better at the wrestling, obviously. And there were people who were better strikers than he was. So, not so much a weakness. And... When I say this about Curtis Blades, I want to I, I want to preface this that I am not trying to insult him. The man just got knocked out, and he's been a very, very successful fighter in the UFC for quite some time. That's not 
and that's nothing to sneeze at. I I am curious why he decided to go for the double leg, especially in that instance. Uh, both men were fighting orthodox, and when Blades went for the double, he then put his... So he's trying to drive his right shoulder you know, into the hips, make contact, and his head is then somewhat by necessity across the body, which puts it right in the path of that... Uh, Lewis uppercut, which is in fact what led to the brutal knockout. I wonder why he didn't try a single leg. Now, I know single legs might be a little bit more difficult to complete, uh, but they also tend not to have end with you being countered by that kind of an uppercut so brutally. Uh, I believe that, you know, that kind of just single leg, the snap, uh, might even have been a snatch single, I... I going to piss off some wrestlers if I try to use the wrong nomenclature there. But grab that front leg. Lewis is not fully heavy on it, but kind of, and it's just kind of there. Grab that, make contact. If you can't finish it from there, you can kind of, you know, duck around and get to the back. And Blades has a really good, uh, you know, fence wrestling mat return game as much. That's more what his game is predicated on than a traditional, you know, uh, Blast double as we think about it. He's really good about fence wrestling people to death. So I'm, I'm just, and again, I don't mean to kind of, you know, throw stones at the guy when he's down. That's really not the point here. I'm just curious why he did not attempt that. And, you know, it was only the second round, you know, a minute and 30 seconds less into the second round. Maybe it was something he was trying to set up for later. I don't know. But if you do want to try to out wrestle Derek Lewis and use that as an avenue to victory, He's good about countering guys coming after his hips in a double leg. You, I think you do need some a different kind of takedown. You either not, I, you either need to get into the clinch a different way, and then very very quickly, uh, you know, establish some kind of dominant position in the clinch, or you just have to make him deal with that front leg, uh, you know, rather than try to dive after his hips. So, uh, brutal knockout. Uh, for as long as the fight lasted, not a bad heavyweight fight. Uh, yeah. So, um, that was your main event. I don't know what, I don't know necessarily what's next. Um, Blades will, you know, Blades is going to drop down a little bit. Problem with Blades is he's beaten a lot. I shouldn't say, you know, he's beaten a lot of the, uh, top end of heavyweight. Let me scroll down through the heavyweight rankings here. Because he's lost to Nganu twice. I don't think he's fought Rosenstreich, but he just lost. He beat Volkov. He beat Overeem. Um, you have Cyril, and you have this upcoming card that's Cyril Ghan and Rosenstreich. He could fight the loser of that. Because uh, he hasn't fought either of those gentlemen. Um, didn't they release Shamil Abdurahimov? I th and I don't say that to be facetious. I think the UFC cut him. Uh, he's still ranked number eight at the moment. I might be mistaken about that. I might be confusing him with somebody else, but uh, he beat. Didn't he beat Alexi Olenek? I think Blades has a win over Olenek. Yeah, he does. And yeah, he beats. He beat Abdurahimov anyway. Uh, now that I'm you know, looking at his record, in the UFC he beat. He's beaten Olenek. He beat Hunt. He beat Overeem. Beat Willis, who seems to have vanished. Beat Abdurahimov, beat JDS, beat Volkov. And he's beaten a fair number of those guys. I mean, 
you could... I don't even want to see a rematch between him and Volkov. It's not the worst potential rematch, but... Uh, I don't know, just... I, that's not really what I think they should do with him. Again, you've got Gone and Rosenstreich. The, both the win, you know, the loser of that's going to need a fight, and I think would potentially be all right for Blades. Um, you have Augusto Sakai on the come up. Uh, yeah, so you've got some options there, but it really sucks for him. As for Lewis, maybe Lewis fights the winner of Rosenstreich and Gone. Because I don't believe he, he's not fought either of those gentlemen, uh, and they would. That's kind. That would be the way the timing might work out. That would be who, if that fight gets made, the winner of that would be the next for the winner of Jones and whatever heavyweight champion. Assuming that's what they do with John. That is my assumption going forward. But if I'm incorrect about that, the calculus changes. Uh, yeah. Again, main event, second round, brutal knockout. Uh, really nice uppercut. All right, co-main event. The rest of these are going to go a little bit quicker. Yana Kunitskaya defeated Ketlin Vieja via unanimous decision. 29-28s across the board. Little surprised by this. I respect it. Um, I had Vieja taking the first and third. Uh, Kunitskaya had the second. I'm not sure what the official swing round was for the judges. Um, the thought... I think the thought that a lot of people had live was that Vieja had won the first, so going into the third, the third would decide the fight. Vieja spent a giant portion of the third round with uh, floating between full mount and back mount on Kunitskaya. And with about 30 seconds left, give or take, Kunitskaya is able to spin into Vieja, get an get inner full guard, and then unleash some elbows for the last little bit. Um... <sighs> This was a weird one. I might have to rewatch this if I wanted to really kind of try and dial in my thoughts about it. So the point being, uh, Kunitskaya won either the first or third round uh, while being primarily on her back. I tend to think there's a better argument for her winning the first because Vieja did not have nearly the positional dominance that she did in the third. Uh, again, I understand the argument that, you know, the person doing damage is the one winning. The person actively trying to finish, you know, doing damage, etc., with the more effective offense. But you have to do, to my estimation, and maybe this is simply uh, my own personal stance on things, you need to do something fairly significant to overcome a giant positional deficit. And... Vieja was at, or excuse me, Vieja had significant positional advantages for long periods of time in that third round. Uh, that, I think there might be a better argument for Kunitskaya taking the first as opposed to the third. Uh, I, again, I might be wrong about that, but uh, we'll see. I, I'd have to look up the specific scorecards. Uh, somewhat surprising, but again, I respect it. And here's the reality of that first round. If that's If the first round decided things... Vieja had some takedowns and had top control, but she didn't do a whole lot with it. And she kind of got chewed up with knees in the clinch. If it's the third round, I, I don't think there's as good an argument. Again, the positional disadvantage was so significant for so long a period of time that I'm not sure a 20-second flurry at the end of the fight 
even though Kunitskaya, she landed a good elbow in the end there and cut Vieja open. Uh, I'm not sure that would have been that was enough for me uh, to have seen you know, to score the round for her. But ultimately, again, I respect the fact that the judges looked at either the first or third and went, okay, you didn't actually do enough with your positions to have warranted us giving you the round. Uh, I think, as with most of these things, this might be an overcorrection. You know, that used to be, hey, I'm in top, I'm in full guard, and I'm going to hold you here, and I win the round, right? Even though I do almost nothing. Yeah, you win the round, good for you. Uh, we might be overcorrecting here to the point where, yeah, you had three minutes of mount time, but, well, you know, you only landed a few shots, and then there was this three to five second flurry from your opponent. Like, I, those two things are not equivalent. Uh, but, so, might, it might be an overcorrection, uh, and just kind of the generalized way of thinking by the judges, but ultimately I respect it. Uh, I respect the fact that they looked at what Kunitskaya did from an efficacy standpoint and went, okay, even though you were at significant positional disadvantages, you know, Vieja didn't really threaten with too many. She didn't have a couple of close submission attempts. She didn't land a whole lot. And those things do matter. So uh, significant upset. I think this is one of the larger upsets recently. So, uh, well, sorry, Derek Lewis was the biggest upset in a while. Uh, he was... He was, what, plus 350, I think? Something like that. Uh, again, significant underdog. Kunitskaya was a non-trivial underdog, actually, so... Uh, yeah, kudos to her. That's one of the bigger wins of her career. She should be... She should be aiming... Uh, for someone in the top five at uh, women's bantamweight, so she should be looking at... Let's see. I think they mentioned... I think they. I think one of the news items, and I'll, again, I'm not going to go too deep into that. I think they said that Juliana Pena and Holly Holm were going to fight, which is not a terrible fight. Uh, could do Vieja and Irene Aldana, uh, Aspen Ladd and Jermaine Durandamy, uh both need fights. So Kunitskaya against any of them, you know, she's earned a shot at that level of opposition. Because yeah, this was between six and seven. Vieja was six. Uh, Kunitskaya was seven. So she should be aiming for somebody in the top five next. Uh, let's see. Derek Minner defeated Charles Rosa via unanimous decision. 30-26, 30-27, 29 -27. I don't know which round that judge gave to Charles Rosa, but I disagree with it. Uh, I was 30-26 I was for Minner. Uh, it's not that Rosa was out of his depth on his back, but he... I don't know. He just was always on the losing end of the positions. Uh, so, solid win for Minner. Heavyweight, Chris Dawkins defeated Alexi Olenek via TKO 155 of the first. Uh, this was a pretty nasty standing TKO against the fence. Uh, Chris Dawkins is legit. He's a lighter heavyweight. He's got fast hands. Clearly has good power. Uh, good decision making, too. The time Olenek was able to clinch up at one point and he did the right things to get out of there as quickly as possible. He clearly wanted no part of that. So, Dawkins... Uh, Ol Olenek was number 10, uh, I believe. Uh, yes? God, heavyweight, where are you? Yeah, he was 10. So, he should... Dawkins will probably be around that spot and should be aiming for... 
could do him and Shamil Abdurakhimov, him and Augusto Sakai, both make sense. Uh, the Overeem, uh, you know, Overeem coming off of that loss, uh, Overeem and Dawkins, you know, could make a lot of sense. So he's, I mean, it's still a little young in his career, but he just took out number 10 in the world. Now the number 10 contender uh, by the UFC's rankings for whatever, you know, for however much value you want to ascribe that. But, uh, yeah, he's so he's earned uh, he's earned a shot at somebody above that. I mean, if nothing else, his next opponent is guaranteed to be ranked and should probably be, depending on where they put him, should be around that same area, so somewhere between like eight and ten. Again, however the rankings shake out after this event. Uh, let's see. Phil Hawes defeated Nasruddin Imavov via majority decision, one twenty tw one twenty eight twenty eight, and then two twenty nine twenty eights. Uh, I think I actually scored this for Imavov. Um, first round to Hawes. I thought the second round went... I gave Imavov the second. He got kind of controlled along the fence at periods, but he hurt Hawes. Uh, he hurt Hawes in the striking there, and then he took the third round. The 28-28, I think, stems from a 10-8 third for Imavov, which I don't disagree with. It's a marginal 10-8, but uh, he hurt Hawes a couple of times in that one. So I... I scored it for Imavov. I think Haas got a little bit fortunate here. If he can't blitz you, he's a he very much is kind of a try to stall you out guy. Uh, might be a bit of a problem, but I think both of these gentlemen have uh, still have some fairly bright futures actually. And kicking off the main card, Tom Aspinall defeated Andre Arlovsky via submission, rear naked choke, uh, 109 of the second. All Aspinall in the first round. Hurt Arlovsky fairly early, actually, but Arlovsky you know, kind of rallied, settled himself down, slowed things down. Second round, Aspinall gets him backing up, striking, and then hits a double leg. Um, Arlovsky has very good takedown defense. Getting him down the way he did was, a su was the product of timing and expectation. Arlovsky clearly did not expect that at all, and then he just kind of... He wasn't expecting it, which led to some really nice timing on the part of Aspinall. Got him down against the fence. Arlovsky gets to his knees, tries to come up. Aspinall grabs the choke on the way up, gets the tap. Uh, solid, solid win for Aspinall. I mean, we again, a lot of us kind of joke about Arlovsky these days. But this was only the second time in his entire career that he'd been submitted. Uh, the only other guy to do it was Josh Barnett. That was... I forget how many years ago. But, uh, yeah. Aspinall's a little... We got Aspinall and Dawkins kind of making waves. Heavyweight has a little bit of new blood. Which is good, because that was desperately needed. Uh, as for the prelims... Sorry, I forgot to mention a couple of things. There are a lot of people that missed weight on this card. Uh, Caitlin Vieja missed weight. Uh, there was supposed to be a fight between... Jeez, uh, the names are escaping me. Give me a second. Uh, Rafael Alves and who was he fighting? Uh, Pat Sabatini. Um, Alves missed weight catastrophically. He missed it by 11 pounds. He weighed 157 and a half for a featherweight fight. Uh, so to my way of thinking, that's like 12 and a half pounds. That was a uh, that was a huge miss. Now, 
That is the biggest miss on the scale in UFC history. Uh, he's the first guy to actually... Because uh, Rumble Johnson used to hold that record, I seem to recall. Uh, now, to his credit, he did say that... He, uh, I think he and a few of his teammates got sick when they had... Um, they'd ordered some... Uh, they got food poisoning from some salmon that they ordered. Um, look... If that's the if this is true, and I will so assuming it's true, I don't hold him terribly responsible for that, believe it or not. Um, eating salmon, and I don't think like this wasn't raw either. This was you know I think it was just you know cooked salmon. Uh, salmon is a very common thing that people uh, that fighters eat when they're managing their weight, be that before you know when they're cutting down or after the fact when they're kind of bulk when they're kind of uh, trying to replenish themselves. It's a very, very common uh, you know, food that goes into that process. And if he got served bad salmon, uh, that's that's just miserable luck. And I, I've had food poisoning. It was that's some of the worst I've ever felt in my entire life. That and working at Kmart. Uh, I'm never quite sure which was worse, but I I was I was about 12 hours away from going into the hospital. I was that sick. I couldn't t- I couldn't keep anything down. So if he's if that's what happened, and he got bad, if he got bad fish from a otherwise you know somewhat reputable source, it's the random. That's just kind of the randomness of the universe. Um, this is not Diego Sanchez eating beef tartare with a raw quail egg on top, and then getting food poisoning ahead of a fight. That's entirely foreseeable. Like, try not to eat raw beef and eggs after you've cut weight. I don't think that's a controversial proposition. Though anyone who knows more about the weight-cutting process than I do is free to correct me. But, you know, salmon after the fact? That's a that's common, man. Especially guys who have significant weight cuts. You know, uh, Salmon like that is one of the things they can eat fairly safely without impacting things too much. So, if that's, again, if that's the case, I hope he gets another shot. But if not, that's a, again, that's a huge miss. Anyway, onto a couple of other misses. Uh, Jared Gordon defeated Danny Chavez via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. Gordon missed weight here. Uh, he weighed 150 for the featherweight fight. Uh, Gordon, I don't know, man. He's he's missed before, hasn't he? I think he has. Yeah, he's missed at featherweight before. Um. Once in the UFC, actually, his UFC debut, he weighed 149. I think that was I, th- I think the caveat there was that was kind of a short notice thing. Uh, then he went up to lightweight for a couple of fights. Uh, maybe just the one fight. I don't know. I forget where. I, th- I think a couple of fights. Kind of went back to featherweight. Um, he just, I don't know. He's a little bit undersized at featherweight, at lightweight. But he clearly struggles with featherweight. So, I don't know. That He's going to have to figure that out one way or the other. Because this is two, this is twice, this is not twice in a row, but this is two misses now. And that's, uh, again, that's something he's got to figure out. Uh, oh, we had another fight that was canceled. We were supposed to have a fight between Chaz Skelly and Jamal Emmers. Chaz Skelly walked to the cage and 
somewhere along the way between him walking, you know, from the back to the cage, Jamal Emmer's, uh, I don't know how long he would, he, it had been going on, but he got a, a couple of really bad back spasms, apparently, and couldn't make it out to the, and you know, couldn't make it to the cage. I've had, not to make this about me, I promise. Uh, I've not had uh, too many serious back spasms, certainly nothing chronically. I had, I think, one period of about 36 hours where I had them. Uh, and that, that sucked. And mine weren't all that, mine were not, I believe, all that severe. Just every, I don't know, every so often, this random just stabbing pain up through the, the side of your back as muscles start going where they're not supposed to go. It's, uh, yeah, it sucks. And if it, you know, this was something he'd been dealing with, apparently, so his might have been, his might have been significantly worse than mine. Uh, that, that sucks, man. He trained for this camp, he made weight, and then to have something medically just debilitate you like that, it sucks. Um, this was, I believe, the first time in UFC history, not that a fight was called off because of a medical reason before it happened, that's happened a few times the night of the event, or even once the event has started. But when one fighter is actually in the cage, when it ha when it happens, uh, that was a first. I think that's a first in the history of the promotion. Not the sport, obviously. The sport's crazy. But I think that was a UFC first. Anyway, moving on. Uh, bantamweight John Castaneda defeated Eddie Wineland via TKO 40, uh, excuse me, 444 of the first. Nice finishing sequence from Castaneda here. He kind of darted off with a right hand that stunned Wineland, and then his follow-up sequence was nice. Uh, featherweight Julian Arosa defeated Nate Landwehr via TKO, flying knee 56 seconds into the first. This was a hockey fight for as long as it lasted, and then Arosa threw the flying knee, and Landwehr protested the stoppage. I was okay with it. You watch kind of the way he fell. Uh, yeah. See, Casey O'Neill defeated Shauna Dobson via TKO punches, 344 of the second. Um, O'Neill, not not the recklessly, not like wildly reckless, but she has a very clear kind of philosophy about her fighting, I think. Um, she does a little bit of, there's a somewhat famous quote from Napoleon. Uh, when he was, you know, conquering France and building his empire... He pressed a lot of people into service uh, for his army. And there was a lot of military theory going on around the time that it was that Ace. We're talking armies in the you know, Napoleonic era, so they're still very large. But there was still kind of a general thought that you wanted a, a higher quality of soldier. So you may not have this, you know, the same number, but you, your troops would be better. They'd be better prepared. They'd be better trained. And this would make up for the numerical disparity. And you know, that, again, that was kind of the prevailing military thinking. When asked about this, or it was brought up, and Napoleon's quote to the contrary was simply, quantity has a quality all its own. Uh, Casey O'Neill threw everything but the kitchen sink at Shauna Dobson. <laughs> they traded on the feet, they both landed, she got close, she got takedowns, and on the ground it was uh, just more or less non-stop offense passing, more offense, uh, just overwhelmed Dobson. Uh, O'Neal's still pretty raw. This was just her sixth, I think, professional fight, but 
might be someone to pay attention to. See, Eamon Zahabi defeated Draco Rodriguez via knockout punch, 305 of the first. Uh, Rodriguez, another guy that missed weight, he weighed 140, uh, 140 for the bantamweight fight here. Zahabi's been pretty inactive. He missed all of 2020. Uh, good win for him. You know, this, was a re- this was a really nice kind of straight one-two counter to a poorly executed uppercut from Rodriguez. And kicking everything off, Sergei Spivak defeated uh, Jared Vandera via TKO, 432 of the second. Uh, this was all Spivak, basically. Uh, got Vander, got Vandera, Vandera, got Vandera down and just pounded him out. First round, second round, more of the same. Earned the stoppage. Uh, no fight of the night. Your performance of the nights. The bonuses went to Derek Lewis, Chris Dawkins, Tom Aspinall, Eamon Zahabi. Sucks for a lot of guys. Um, I There was a piece put out. Uh, I forget where it was from. The UFC, uh, Dana White, I think, talked with the New York Post, I think might have been the one that ran it. Talked a little bit about the UFC's uh, discretionary bonuses. Uh, there was a response piece on, I want to say, Bloody Elbow. Uh, I forget the I forget the author. I apologize. It was a it was a really good piece that delved a little bit more in depth into that whole process, talking with some current and former UFC fighters. Um, yeah, there was a, there's a lot of guys who missed who just barely missed out on some serious cash here. Uh, that sucks. Of course, it also just kind of sucks that your multi-billion dollar company has its product, and the only reason you're able to achieve that status in the fighters, routinely just begging and lobbying for 50 grand. Uh, It's a shame. I mean, again, the only one that can do anything about it at this point are the fighters, and... Uh, not gonna, not gonna rehash that argument. Uh, not a whole lot has changed since the last time it was discussed. Uh, oh, the other fight we lost on this card was supposed to be Drakkar Close and Luis Pena. Pena had stepped in on short notice. Uh, was called off one of Close's corner men tested positive for COVID. They're trying to rebook that for, uh, like something in the next couple of weeks, so. Hopefully it sticks together, that's a. This fight, this card lost a few of the fights I was really looking forward to. Uh, Alright, so that was it. Thank you. Thank you very much to everyone who read my coverage live or after the fact. I appreciate you guys, so thank you very much for that. Uh, let's move on. UFC on ESPN Plus 44 this coming Saturday. Uh, this is gonna. This is not going to take long to preview, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm just not going to talk about... There's some decent fights here, but I, I don't know how long this is going to take, so hopefully not too long. Main event, Jarzinho Rosenstroke and Cyril Gaon. Uh, Rosenstroke... Let's see, he got knocked out by Francis, badly. Rebounded against Junior, and... That was the, that was the most, like, JDS fight ever. Junior looks really good for about a round and a half and then gets caught just because he keeps putting it, then abandons his technical game plan and gets caught and knocked out. That's this is the most, such a junior thing to do these days. Um, but he's still on a, he's still only ever, he's never been the distance. I mean, the, uh, the Overeem fight very nearly was. 
But all of his wins have been, all of his wins in the UFC have been via finish. All of his wins, but one, if we talk about his entire career, have been via finish. Uh, well, gone. Undefeated, 7-0. TKO JDS's last fight. Uh, this is potentially very interesting. Two very large guys. Some very different styles. Rosenstreich a bit more on the technical kickboxer side of things. Gone has a little bit more of the kind of point karate bounce to his style. Um, both men strikers kind of first and foremost, but have certainly demonstrated a degree of competence in all aspects of the fight game. Uh, it's a it's a solid heavyweight fight, actually. Um, I'm a little surprised at five. I don't know how who five rounds will favor. The only time we saw Rosenstreich go that long, he, uh, again, got beat up for almost all of it and got a Hail Mary win. Uh, this will be Gon's first time even being scheduled for five, I think. I'm going to confirm that. Uh, no, actually. He's been scheduled for five rounds twice before on the regional scene. He's maybe three times? His professional debut, he won the vacant TKO heavyweight title, so I assume that was a five-round fight in terms of how long it was scheduled. Then he defended it twice before signing to the UFC. So he's never been out of the he's never been out of the third. He's had two fights go the three he's out he's had one fight end in the third and then one went the distance. So remains to be seen how we'll hold up over five rounds potentially, but it's a good fight. I don't really know who to favor here. You could make a very, very compelling case for either guy. I'm gonna lean towards gone, but uh I don't know. Again, wouldn't be shocked to see either guy win. It's a good fight. Co-main event. Light heavyweight fight. Nikita Krylov and Mankhamed Ankalaev. Can you believe we wasted, what, 18 months or two years of Mankhamed Ankalaev on that stupid Iwan Kutalaba thing? What a giant waste of that guy's time and potential. Uh, Krylov, another guy that has a fair bit of potential. I mean, he's 28. Uh, he beat Johnny Walker his last time out. He had the split decision loss to Glover Teixeira that, frankly, I thought he won. Uh, and then you have Ankalaev, who looks to be the real deal at heavyweight. He only has a light heavyweight. He only has one loss ever. It was in his UFC debut. It was a fight he dominated before he got caught in a triangle choke with one second left. In, he tapped with one second left in the fight. And then for some reason, everyone just kind of forgot how good he was. He then proceeded to go on a winning streak. We knocked out Marching Procneo, beat Clinton Abreu, knocked out Dolce Lungiambula, TKO'd Iwan Kutalaba, but everybody threw a fit, so nine months later. Yeah, they tried to make that Kutalaba fight several times. Uh, they finally made it the t on February of 2020. He wins, but nobody likes the stoppage. So they tried to rebook it a couple of times. It fell through a couple of times. They finally It finally got back together in October of 2020. And he knocked him out in four minutes and 19 seconds in a horribly non-competitive fight. This guy wasted all of 2020 on Iwan Kutelaba. <sighs> baffling. Just baffling decision-making. I like Ankalaev here. Um, I won't be shocked if Krylov wins. Again, Krylov has some very legitimate skills. But Ankalaev is one of the few guys who I think might be able to break through the miasma at light heavyweight. Welterweight fight, Randy Brown and Alex Oliveira. Um, 
Randy Brown's been... He's got a weird UFC career. Um, he's got four losses in the U. All of his professional losses are in the UFC. The losses are... To, he lost to Michael Graves, who uh, wound up fizzling out. One, two, beat... Uh, lost to Bilal Muhammad, who turns out to be you know a very, very top-end welterweight. Beat Mickey Gall in a fight that we all kind of wondered why it was booked. Uh, got knocked out by Nico Price with hammer fists from the bottom. <laughs> Funniest thing. Won a couple of fights, then got brutally knocked out by Vicente Luque in his last fight. Hmm. Uh, I I tend to favor Randy Brown here, but Alex Oliveira is certainly no one to trifle with. He might be the dirtiest fighter in the entire UFC, but uh, he's a he's a rugged guy. And if you fight his kind of fight, he can beat you. Uh, Oliveira was last seen losing to um, Shavkat Rachmaninov. Rachmaninov, excuse me. Shavmat Rachmaninov. Who looked really darn good doing it, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll favor Brown. But again, yeah, that, that's a dicey fight. Uh, bantamweight fight. Great fight. This, I think this was supposed to happen earlier. Um, let's see. These two have fought before, but we're getting a rematch. Yeah, they were supposed to fight at the Kiesia and Magni card. They got moved. Uh, they got moved again. They were supposed to fight at UFC 258. That got removed due to COVID test-related issues. Uh, hopefully it holds together. The last time these two fought, Rivera won a split decision. Uh, I still tend to favor Rivera, but this should be a good fight. Uh, that's that's kind of your one fight to really pay attention to on this. The bantamweight brings it as a division. And kicking off the main card, Alex Caceres will fight Kevin Kroom. Was he supposed to fight somebody else? No, this is always this fight. All right, I need to look up uh, Mr. Kroom here. I might have... I don't know, his name is just like loosely familiar enough. He fought in the UFC? Yeah, he had a fight with Roosevelt Roberts that went to a no contest. Did he lose that? Hmm. I forget who won that. I think Roberts won that initially. And then... I need to confirm this now one way or the other. Let's see. Uh, that was the Hill and Watterson card. So that would be... From, 20, from September of 2020. Uh, no, Kroom won that originally. That's why he's familiar. Because that was a significant upset. Uh, overturned after he tested positive for marijuana. Come on, guys. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to pick Kroom, actually, believe it or not. Probably stupid of me. Uh, cause, I mean, look, Alex Caceres just kind of is what he is at this point. He's a, just kind of a filler member of the roster, but he's not easy to beat. Uh... 
And if you look at the, if you look at his losses and the guys he's lost, because some of them earlier in his career, earlier in his UFC tenure, a little bit more like, huh? But more recently, you know, it's guys like Yair Rodriguez, Jason Knight, Cron uh, Gracie. You know, it's it's not easy to, not easy at all to best him in a fight. So probably silly of me, but I'm gonna do it. Uh, all right, let's see. We will have some of the some of the orders a little bit off here. Some fights have kind of materialized late. We'll have Angela Hill and Ashley Yoder. Pretty easy pick of Hill there, but uh, it would be just like Hill to slip on the banana peel. Let's see, um, Honey Barcelos will fight Marcel Rojo. Uh, Barcelos was supposed to fight Rafael Asensio. Austin Sao pulled out. I think it was a COVID issue. Yeah, tested positive for COVID. So Rojo stepping in on short notice. Uh, I'll pick Barcelos there. I might have picked. I might have picked Barcelos over Austin Sao. And that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, you're picking anybody over Austin Sao is a little bit dicey, uh, but I do feel pretty. I do feel pretty strongly about, you know, Barcelos' upside. The man's never lost in the UFC. So I feel pretty pretty confident picking him over uh, Rojo here. See, we'll have Alexander Hernandez and Tiago Moises. Significant spot for Hernandez. Uh, he needs a win pretty badly. I mean, he, he knocked out Chris Gritzmacher in his last fight, but uh, he needs to find some consistency. Uh, whereas Moises, what's he been up to? Uh, he beat Bobby Green last year. And he, he tapped Michael Johnson. Hmm. He kind of needs this fight to be on the ground, and I don't know how easily he'll be able to get Hernandez there. Hmm. I'm going to pick Moises, but... That's only because I think Hernandez might be one of those win-one-lose-one guys at this point. Uh, women's bantamweight fight, Sabina Mazo and Alexa da Alexis Davis. Let's see. Ale Davis has lost three in a row. Jeez. That's not good. Whereas Mazo lost her UFC debut, but has bounced back pretty well. Uh, I'll, I'll pick Mazo. I think Davis might be on the downside of her career, but... That's a dang, that's a non-trivial test for Mazo. The light heavyweight fight, Alonzo Menafield and William Knight. Knight, I seem to recall... Yeah, he won his UFC debut when he beat Alexa Kammer. Knight is... Oh, I remember Knight. That man is bricked up. Of course, then again, Alonzo Menafield's not exactly a slouch in the physique department either. Uh, Menafield's lost two in a row. He got out-wrestled by Devin Clark and then did well against Ovin St. Prue before he just kind of walked into a counterpunch. Hmm. I'm going to pick Knight, actually. Yeah, I'm going to pick Knight. Let's see, uh, bantamweight Vince Cachero will fight Ronnie Lawrence. Where's that Honey Lawrence? Uh, this gentleman is American. I'm going to assume Ronnie. 
Uh, he's on a three-fight winning streak. This is his UFC debut. Ditto Cachero. Uh, no, Cachero lost his UFC debut. He lost to Jamal Emmers. I have no memory of that fight. I'm not sure why. I'll pick Lawrence. And kicking everything off, uh, Dustin Jacoby and Maxime Grishin. Uh, Jacoby... He re-debuted in the UFC recently, and he beat Justin Ledette. He looked pretty good in that fight, actually. Uh, whereas Grishin, very experienced fighter. He had a successful UFC debut, I seem to recall. He's one and one. Oh, yeah, he took a short-notice fight with Marcin Tabora, lost, and then went back to light heavyweight, which is where he normally fights, and stopped Gazimura and Tagulov. Hmm. Jacoby's no slouch. Uh, I'm going to pick Grishin, but uh, that, that's, not a, that's not a gimme fight for either guy. That one might... That might not be a very interesting fight, but uh, that's a, I think that's probably going to be a tough fight for both guys. Anyway, that's it. Now, this card is... Eh, there's some, again, there's some decent stuff here. Munoz and Rivera's good. The main event's actually pretty good on paper. Krylov and Ankalaev isn't bad. Uh, we're really just kind of treading water, though, because... Uh, the up Not this coming Saturday, but the next one. Uh, March 6th. We have our triple header of championship... Or our triple title fight card, UFC 259... When Jan Blahovich fights Israel Adesanya, Amanda Nunes fights Megan Anderson, and Peter Jan fights Aljamain Sterling. Man, those are some fights. <laughs> those are... That is some quality, quality fights. Uh, you know, the rest of that card isn't awful. L looking at kind of what we have listed here. Islam Makachev and Drew Dober is a... Pretty serious test for both guys. Joseph Benavidez and Askar Askarov is a good fight. Uh, let's see. I mean, Dominic Cruz and Casey Kenny is a good fight. Alexander Rekic and Tiago Santos. Uh, I don't think... That, again... What happens at light heavyweight is... I don't want to get too deep into this. I want to talk more about it next week. But... What happens at light heavyweight is going to be really interesting, kind of depending on what happens here. Um, if Rakich... Actually, if either Rakich or Santos... I mean, you've got Glover Teixeira out there still. Where's Glover ranked at the moment? So you're probably not going to get the next title contender out of this fight because you've got Glover sh sitting at number one. But if Rakich beats Tiago Santos, especially if he does so impressively... Uh, I mean, Rakic's only loss in the UFC was a split decision to Volkan Uzdemir. Uh, he, coming off a win over Anthony Smith. Uh, if Rakic beats Santos, he might be... Uh, I can't, again, you got Teixeira there going, I've won so many fights in a row. What else do you got to do? Um, but that's also going to be kind of dependent on what happens. I mean, the reality is this, as far as uh, light heavyweight, go as far as uh, that main event goes. If Israel Adesanya wins, 
he will be a dual champion, middleweight and light heavyweight. He's not going to retain that. The UFC has never allowed anyone to really hold those... They let Connor do it for way too long for publicity reasons. They let Amanda Nunes do it now because there's not actually a featherweight division and she already cleaned out bantamweight, basically. So when you're in her position, they don't really care. They let you hold the two belts and you knock yourself out. One of those isn't a... Again, featherweight is not a division. Light heavyweight might be a bit of a dumpster fire in some respects. You know, the, uh, Not as bad as it used to be. Like not a, in fairness, it's not near as bad as it used to be. Um, but point light heavyweight may not be a good division, but it's a real division. Middleweight is actually a good division. You're not going to get a champion of two divisions. I mean, you know, Connor, they let Connor keep the lightweight belt for way too long. They took the featherweight belt off him relatively quickly. I mean, they had the interim title fight between uh, Edgar and Aldo, but it wasn't long after that they promoted Aldo to champion. So, Adesanya's not going to hold both of those belts for very long. Uh, it's just not feasible. He can't fight four times a year. and You can't retain the divisional integrity. You can't... Uh, I mean, four fights a year is a lot for anybody at the top end of the sport. Four title fights in a year is borderline absurd. You know, assuming he even is able to stay healthy and on schedule and everything, it's just... And even then, that would limit you to two title fights for light heavyweight and middleweight per year. And you'd be running the guy into the ground trying to work that schedule, and you'd probably wind up with viable contenders killing each other off. It's, it's just not going to happen. So the question, if Adesanya wins, would be which of those belts is he going to give up, which is he going to hold on to? And that's, again, that assumes he wins, which is certainly not a given. Uh, I might favor him, in fact I do, but not a given. Uh, Jan Blachowicz is Jan Blachowicz is nobody's easy out. <laughs> Even the people that beat him, that's not an easy out. So, Rakic or Santos, I mean, Teixeira just beat Santos is kind of the problem. So if Santos wins, that clears the road for Glover to say, I don't care who the next champion is. Whether If it's Jan, bring it. If it's Adesanya, bring it. If Adesanya wins and drops 205, fine, for the vacant belt, I'm half of that equation. Uh, his case for the... If Rakic wins, and again, if he does so impressively, and then Adesanya vacates, Rakic and Teixeira for the vacant belt? Not the worst idea in the world. Uh, not the worst idea in the world at all. Uh, so... Anyway, we'll have a full breakdown of that event next week. Uh, so, a little preview of my thoughts there. Uh, come back for that, please. Uh, yeah, that's kind of all I've got. Let me check Twitter. See if anything crazy happened as it relates to MMA. And if not, we'll get into plugs and get out of here. Nope. Uh, nothing else is broken, so let's get into plugs and get out of here. Short episode this week. Let's see. Ooh, boy. Did a fair bit of stuff this week. Um... I covered WWE SmackDown on Fridays in the Wrestling Zone of 411 Mania. I cover MLW uh, Wednesdays. My last review hasn't gone up yet. I'm curious what that's about. Um, of course, it would be the one the one show in the last couple of weeks I was very positive about. Uh, if you're into pro wrestling and you have a sense of humor, 
Those two things being mutually exclusive more often than not, I suppose. Uh, the Filthy Island episode of MLW Fusion, I laughed so hard. Uh, so you can find me doing that. Let's see, I had I had a couple of Damn You Hollywoods this week. I rev On Monday, I reviewed Space Sweepers, the Korean-language Netflix uh, science fiction sort of thriller. Uh, I, view I reviewed that with Sean Comer, so you can listen to that if you're interested in my review of that. Uh, then Tuesday, there was a Damn You Hollywood with the regular crew, myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina, and we talked Will <laughs> Willy's Wonderland. What a wild trip that movie is. If you have not heard of this, look up the trailer, and if I could sell you on that movie with a single uh, kind of explanation about something that happens, Nicolas Cage curb stomps an animatronic gorilla into a urinal. If that doesn't sell you on it, the movie's just straight up not for you. And I don't hold that against anybody, for the record, but... So, we talked about that. Earlier today, uh, we had a TV party for the uh, the anime series Demon Slayer. Mark and his daughter Lily wanted to talk about it, so... I said I'm happy to show up, help hold up the conversation. Uh, David Wright joined us as well. And yeah, you can find us, so you can find that if you're so inclined to hear our thoughts about Demon Slayer and a little bit of anime in general. That was a, that was a fun time. There's a fairly decent chance I will be on a TV party this coming Tuesday for the... I suppose I have to call it a television series. Uh, the 10-episode the thing on Amazon called Too Old to Die Young. Uh, that is, it is certainly something. So be aware that I might, uh, I might be on that. And then on the 25th, there will be a Damn You Hollywood for the Netflix exclusive movie, I Care A Lot. Starring uh, Peter Dinklage and Rosamund Pike. So, that's what I've got on this upcoming week. And then, of course, Saturday, UFC on ESPN plus 44. Yep, I am doing stuff. Things. Stuff and things. The both of them. Though I suppose you could do one without the other. All right, that's it for me. Thank you all very much. I deeply appreciate you. Once again, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, share, all of it. Any of it. It's all helpful. Till next time. Let me see. Next week. So, yeah, next week, review. Preview of UFC 259 should be a... That is a heck of a card. That is a heck of a card. Uh, hopefully nothing falls out between now and then, but uh, the rate we're going, you never know. All right, that's it. Well, protracted outro out of the way. See you all next time. Until then, stay safe out there as usual, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.